There are real, tangible, practical blessings that come to us when we look to God's word and apply its principles in our lives. One of those principles is God's calling us to an attitude of contentment. We need to talk about money. We need to talk about financial concerns and how God has framed those things as the blessed life being a life of contentment. Let's talk about that attitude today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it will be a blessing for you. We are called to pursue a balance of godliness with contentment. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, which gives us that phrasing in and of itself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that is as opposed to trying to use some form of godliness in order to try to get an advantage in greater financial gain. Instead of that mindset, godliness with a true contentment will give us great gain in our relationship with God. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's interesting to me that there is this idea of contentment simply with what do we need at the base level, with the need for food and the need to be clothed. Those are the essentials that Paul calls Timothy to. Well, let's see what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. That is the key theme that we're going to be seeing over and over again as we work through the biblical balance of our attitude toward wealth. Well, let's go back to think about John the Baptist and the teaching that he gave. It is interesting that in the midst of his correction of the crowds, that he focused in on attitudes about money, attitudes about possessions, and how we should live our daily lives in that framework. So let's see how John taught, what John taught, and what the practical applications ended up being. Back in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Do you notice the two topics of discussion there are tunics, which clothing, or food? And 
the willingness to share of your possessions that way is what he calls them to. It goes on, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. He says, make sure you're not trying to take financial advantage of other people. Don't use your power to take extra money away from others. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. See how that emphasis was there? And so of all of the different aspects of life that could have been highlighted about how to show fruits of repentance, it's interesting that John the Baptist corrected that generation's mindset by going to the practical application of how are they viewing possessions? How are they viewing money? And how are they viewing the power that they have to try to keep or attract money for themselves? Be content with your wages. Well, let's think about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. By the way, did you know that that popular phrase that is applied to so many different areas, the actual application of that phrase, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, the context of that is contentment. The context of that is facing a financial need or facing a hunger situation, a physical need circumstance. And he says, I have learned contentment even when hungry and suffering need. And I've learned to be able to handle plenty and handle abundance because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the actual context of that statement. Now, when the Bible calls us to be content, it's not as if we're supposed to do nothing about trying to acquire some financial means or some way to provide for ourselves. Rather, we are to seek to honorably provide for ourselves and have something to share with others. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Paul says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's what we're called to do. 
it's summarized in Ephesians 4 verse 28 as, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So as we look to trying to figure out what the biblically balanced way of thinking about finances and and possessions and how we should look at money, we need to understand we are supposed to work to provide for ourselves and from that to be able to help others. Now, the Bible warns about being out of balance in a different direction, about our view of money and our view of material possessions. So let's look back at 1 Timothy 6, where we got started, and keep reading past that first section. But we'll start back at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower. And when he explained it, one of the types of soil was as follows. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. We've got to be careful not to get caught up in the cares of the world and deceived by wealth in such a way that we are no longer fruitful in God's kingdom. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, there is much that Jesus ended up describing about how we should consider properly laying up treasures in heaven and not focusing on laying up treasures on earth. Starting in verse 19 of Matthew 6 and going through the end of the chapter, it all ties together with this particular idea. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, let's pause here and think, what do I contribute more to? Do I contribute more to the work of the Lord? Or do I contribute a lot more of my money toward trying to pile up money toward my own retirement? to spend on my own pleasures as I get a little bit older. How big is your retirement plan? Because you've been piling money that direction, perhaps much more so than you've been putting money toward the things of God. 
where is our treasure? Is it on things of the earth? Or are we applying our treasure toward heavenly pursuits? To which do I contribute more? That's a heart check. Well, let's keep reading. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He says, how do you look at things? We've just been talking about laying up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. How do you look at things? How do you look at uh, financial concerns? Do you have a healthy eye looking at it in a proper biblical way? Or is your eye bad and therefore your life is filled with darkness in the concerns of finances and other things? He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Which are we serving? Are we first serving God and money sorts itself out? Or are we having divided loyalties and our service to try to get money makes us unfruitful in the kingdom of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Pausing for a moment. Do you notice that this is talking about those two elements again, food and clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Those may be familiar words, but those are challenging words. And we need to think about to what degree are we seeking first the kingdom of God and trusting that God knows what we need and being able to feel content in ordering our lives so that we are laying up treasures in heaven rather than overly concerning ourselves with treasures on earth. Now let's turn to a challenging passage where Jesus talks with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, as a note, before we continue in this passage, over in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, a parallel passage about this, it adds this little element. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him that you lack this one thing and the rest of that passage. Now, why do I point that out? It's because Jesus wasn't just putting him in his place. Jesus told him this challenge in order to really help him to understand where he was falling short. And that is, he trusted more in his riches than he trusted in God. He desired his riches more than he truly desired his relationship with God. He became very sad because he was extremely rich. So then what does it continue to say in Luke chapter 18? Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. That is a very challenging passage because one may wonder, okay, does that call on every single person to sell every single item and become a Mother Teresa kind of circumstance in order to have any shot at eternal life? Well, the biblical balance of things is to look at all passages. It is clearly the case that this young man, because of his riches that he had, and the heart that he had to really desire to hold on to those riches, that that's the part that he needed to work on. And that's how he needed to work on it. But what do we see in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19? A little bit later after the introductory verse that we originally looked at, talking about godliness with contentment is great gain. There's more explanation given to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the instruction to the rich is definitely be rich in good works, do good, be generous, be ready to share, but it's not a full command. You have to sell everything, give it all to the poor in order to have this relationship. You just have to be good stewards with it and be very generous with it and not self-centered with it. I hope you can see a little bit of a nuance or a distinction of a biblical balance for general instruction as opposed to the particular most challenging thing for that one individual's circumstance. There may be other individuals who need to have the instruction of the rich young ruler, but it does not require that Abraham had to divest of everything. He had to handle everything properly. It was not required that David had to divest of everything. He had to handle what he had properly. Job and many other examples in the Old Testament where those who were blessed by God with material blessing had the responsibility to do good works in relation to that. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 8 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So part of what we're supposed to do is sow bountifully, give cheerfully, not out of reluctance, but be a cheerful giver toward godly things. Second Corinthians 8, the chapter earlier, verses 1 through 5, describes the attitude even among those who really didn't have a lot to give, they were willing to sacrifice greatly. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so because they gave themselves first to the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, out of their joy, even though they didn't have a lot to work with, they really wanted to participate in helping others. And so they gave even beyond their means. Let's see the instruction we're supposed to have and apply to ourselves in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do you see how across all of the different things we're supposed to do, there are elements that talk about how we are supposed to properly use whatever financial blessings we may have. Again, Ephesians 4 verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He needs to get himself in a position where he would be able to share with others. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, another part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, be careful about how you go about helping others. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's not be about trying to look impressive to others in what we do with our financial blessings. Let's do things quietly. Let's do things that are for the purpose of serving others and let God see that and be pleased with that rather than us seeking to be getting the praise of men for what we do with our abundance. Well, we've shared a number of different principles and we're running out of time for today. So let me just remind you briefly. The scriptures say, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Have something to share with anyone in need. Be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's apply those principles to our life so that with material possessions, we will be content. 
not getting out into one extreme of desiring to be rich and having a love of money and not going to another extreme to declare that money itself is evil and we have to make ourselves totally destitute. But instead, the biblical balance is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we are blessed materially, to choose to do good with it, to serve and to give and to share. Well, that wraps up our time for today. May we seek God and seek his things and seek his ways by searching the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing for you. You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. Feel free to ask a question, make a comment, or request Lesson 1 of our Bible Correspondence Course. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon for the next edition of Seek Search.